The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. I want to get into the word, trusting and believing God for something great. Uh, if you're able to take some notes, I want to encourage that uh, for the purpose of revisiting the word in your own time, allowing God to minister things directly to you. There's a few things that we're going to find as we get into the word this morning. Uh, and we're going to continue in a series uh, talking about love, the power of love, and what makes up love. Uh, we're going to find out a few things. These are things you can look forward to. One, we're going to find out the power of truth. Now, you heard as we ministered to the kids that we were going to hear about truth this morning and find out the power of truth. Now, there's a lot of information in the world, uh, and not all of it is truth. In fact, most of it is not. Uh, the power of truth and why truth is so important. Another thing we're going to find is what Jesus asked God to do for you. What Jesus asked God the Father to do to you. Jesus is praying. He's praying to the Father, and he's asking God to do something, and he asked him to do something very specific for you. It's important that we know what that is. If it's a big enough deal that Jesus took time to pray and ask God to do it for us, we, we need to know what that is, and we need to uh, uh, be excited about that, surrender our lives to it, and, and walk in those things. A third thing that we're going to find is what we need to look at. There's something that we need to be looking at, and we'll find out uh, what that is as we get into the scripture here. So I want to jump right in. We're going to move quickly because I know any time you can smell food cooking in the room uh, next to you. And then, too, I think we have a limited number of uh, uh, outlet space, you know, and we've got a maximum number of crockpots going. So at any moment, the lights could go out in here and this mic would go dead. And I don't know what we would do, uh, you know, if the power went out here. I don't, we don't have a lot of experience in candlelight services. We do our best, so I'm sure we get by. Uh, <clears throat> we've been talking about love, the importance of love. We've talked about how that word has become very casual and very common. You know, I mean, uh, we'll, we'll say that we love things. We can say we love movies. We can say we love food. You might even, you know, find a dish in there that you take one bite of and you just declare your undying love for it. But you never know. But we've, it's become a really common thing for us to express the word love. And the word love is actually uh, communicating really powerful things in the scripture. So if the words become dull or common in our vocabulary, it's going to make our ability to understand what God's speaking to us in his word very difficult. We need to reacquaint ourselves with what love is and what it means. Uh, so as we get into the scripture here, we're going to look at some things that have been foundational. They're going to sound familiar because we've mentioned them every week, uh, but we'll get into uh, the things that are unique about this week in just a moment. Uh, if you have your Bibles there, you can go to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4 has been uh, foundational in talking about the importance of love, the value and the necessity of it. Uh, in verse 7, we're going to read 7 and, and go through verse 12. It reads like this, Beloved, now that's you. This is being addressed to you. You're the beloved. You're the one who is being loved by God. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And by this, the love of God was manifest in us, that he sent his only begotten son, that's Jesus, into the world so that we might live through him. Now, as you read through this, you go down and you see in verse 12, it goes on to say that if we love one another, 
God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Now, in weeks past, we've talked about what that means, what it means for God's love to be perfected in us. It leaves no room for fear or anxiety in any aspect of your life. It, it drives out those things. And being born of God obviously is necessary to function and operate in the kingdom of God. Uh, when Jesus is speaking in John chapter 3, he says, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So we see the importance of love and what it means. We need to have love in our lives. God has manifest his love by sending Jesus the greatest act of generosity and redemption ever known to man. And it's all contingent upon or hinged upon or revealing love in one way, shape, or form, depending on which perspective you're looking from. So learning what love is, is important. And we've turned to the scripture for that. We've turned to Corinthians 13. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13 has given us a definition for love. Now, the beginning uh, words, beginning in verse 4, are love is. So love is dot, dot, dot. And the words that follow are going to be making up the definition of love. More than just a four-letter word that we use to express things that we, we, we like a lot, but this is a, a word that is carrying all of the weight of the following attributes. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love doesn't envy. It doesn't brag and is not arrogant. Love does not act unbecomingly. It doesn't seek its own. Love is not provoked. Love does not take into account wrong suffered. Now, we talked about that last week. Love doesn't think evil was another translation there. Verse 6, uh, love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails. Now, in the past, when we've expressed the importance of catching this definition, we've just used some goofy examples. I mean, much like expressing your love for a slice of pizza or something like that. But I, I think about my relationship with my children or my wife or, or you know, even members of the church people that I'm called to, to love and to serve, and I can say the words, I love you. I mean, I could tell my children, I love you. Could I tell them with the same uh, uh, stability, I'm patient with you or I'm kind with you? Wherever love is present, you need to see these things attached to it. Not one of them, not just a couple of them, but at all times, these boxes need to be checked off where love is present. And when these boxes can't be checked off, love has been compromised in some way. And it's important for us to keep close eye on those things. Now, we've talked about a number of these things, beginning with patience and working our way down the line. This week, we get to verse 6. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Love doesn't like it when things are sinful or corrupt. That's not where love exists. That's where all kinds of other things exist, infatuations and lust. I mean, those things can exist there, but love doesn't exist there. Not love as it's defined or revealed by the Scripture. Love as the world would define or as the world would discuss, possibly, but that's not love. Love doesn't rejoice where unrighteousness is. Rather, it rejoices with the truth. So this is an interesting thing for me. And I mean, I'm, I, I want to move through this quickly, but I want to pause and share a couple of thoughts because I think they, they ought to stand out to us. I mean, when we read this and we see that love doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness, rather it rejoices in the truth, we need to... to realize something that we're seeing these things contrasted that aren't 
necessarily considered opposite by our, our vocabulary. I mean, if somebody were to tell me that love doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness, therefore it rejoices in blank, I would probably write in righteousness. Because, you know, that would be the opposite of unrighteousness in my mind. So what I'm seeing here is that there's something that we ought to pay attention to. I mean, if you're responding to or ministering to unrighteousness with the thing that actually is going to have an effect on it, and the scripture labels that as truth, then we need to, to make a note of that. When dealing with unrighteousness in any situation, the solution or the conclusion is truth. It helps us to understand why God is bringing truth into our lives. We're going to see a couple of things here in the scripture as we move forward. I want to look at a couple of things here because we need to establish the words that we are examining. I mean, love doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness. Another way you could interpret that word unrighteousness is iniquity. In fact, some of your Bibles may translate the word that way. Word love doesn't rejoice in iniquity, but rather it rejoices in truth. And we're going to see that iniquity and truth are not uh, uh, uncommonly spoken of in the same passage of Scripture throughout throughout the Word, throughout the Bible. You'll see unrighteousness or iniquity and truth waging war or contrasted on multiple occasions here. So we want to learn what these words are. I mean, if you look up just the word iniquity, you're going to find a definition that's very simple. It's just going to be a wicked or a sinful act. I mean, it's not righteous. And then you go to find out what truth is by definition. And of course, you're turning into the dictionary there to find out an English definition of truth. And you could find the following, you know, the the state of being uh, right or reality, uh, of the body of things of, that are real and real events. Uh, one definition even would try to include some element of, of spiritual, spirituality Excuse me, by saying a fundamental or spiritual reality. But truth is, is not just a thing. I mean, when we look at the scripture, we see that truth isn't just something that can be defined. Rather, truth is a person. Truth is Jesus. I mean, Jesus stood when he spoke in John chapter 14, and he said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Truth is a person. I mean, so when we look at these things and we realize that love doesn't rejoice in sin or iniquity or corruption, but love rejoices in truth, love rejoices in Jesus. Jesus is at the center of love, and to cut him out in any way, shape, or form is to compromise love and move it into some Uh, pseudo form or false form. I want to give you a scripture out of the Proverbs here. I mentioned to you that we were going to find out something, that we were going to find out the power of truth, the power of truth. And I I hope that you see it clearly here in the Proverbs as we look in Proverbs 16. I want to look at verse 6, Proverbs 16, verse 6. Now remember, we're talking about love, which love doesn't rejoice in iniquity, but rather it rejoices in truth. Now we're going to see iniquity and truth in the same passage again, or in a different passage, excuse me. We're going to see them together in a different passage. Proverbs 16, verse 6. By loving kindness and truth, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one keeps his way away from evil. So I want to stop there at the first part. By loving kindness and truth, iniquity is atoned for. That tells me something about the power of truth. I mean, 
If you understand the word atonement or atone for, to, to cleanse or to wipe away or to pay for, if we can see that sin or corruption can be atoned for by truth, then it makes sense that Jesus, who is the solution to our sin or our iniquity, could stand and rightly say, I am the truth. It's the reason why when he goes to the cross, there can be forgiveness of sins. You send any other man to the cross, no matter how good he is or how much charitable work he's done or how great an attitude he is or how many times he bailed you out or helped you out, sin and iniquity remains. But it was only truth that could atone for those things, wash them away. It's the power of truth. And there's a need for truth to be a pursuit in our lives. As we blessed the kids earlier, you know, the, the understanding for the children was really simple. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. Think of all of the great things that the Holy Spirit could have been described as. I mean, God could have said he's the spirit of victory. And boy, that'd get Christians excited, wouldn't it? I mean, people would love, stand and cheer. Yes, the spirit of victory. We have the spirit of victory. So you can't beat that. That means we win all the time. And, and I would have no problem with that. But I understand that God's very intentional. And as he's revealed who the Holy Spirit is, he has revealed that he's the spirit of truth. And it's truth where we do find those elements that lead to victory, those things that do overcome, those things that are powerful to the point of atonement, to wash away iniquity, to wash away sin and corruption. I want to give you a passage of scripture out of the Psalms. Out of the Psalms involving truth, which love rejoices in. Psalm 40, verse 11. Excuse me. You, O Lord... You will not withhold your compassion from me. Your loving kindness and your truth will continually preserve me, continually save me, continually deliver me, continually help me out, bail me out, however you want to describe it. It's talking about God's power and his presence in your life, bringing about the assistance that we so desperately need. And it involves truth. In fact, it's describing compassion, acts of compassion, Lord, you will not withhold your compassion from me. Your loving kindness and your truth will continually preserve me. When I read that passage of scripture, I see that when God is moving in compassion in my life, it is going to involve loving kindness and truth. Loving kindness and truth. Those are the two elements that are used to describe God's acts of compassion in my life and in your life. So if I were to take that, and I know that we're, we're all looking forward to, you know, tasty treats and some food that's on the way, and many of you have worked very hard to put together your dish to bring it here for us to eat together. When I look at this passage of scripture, I kind of see a little bit of a, a recipe being revealed to us. I mean, take one part loving kindness, add one part truth, blend, and you've got compassion. Lord, you will not withhold your compassion from me. Your loving kindness and your truth will continually deliver me. I'll give you a passage of scripture just explaining or describing or giving you a picture of what that compassion might look like out of the gospel. Matthew chapter 14, when you get to verse 14 there, you see Jesus is ministering and he's speaking and, and Obviously, people have been very drawn to what he's saying, and there's a crowd that gathers, and as Jesus is ministering, it says, he looks upon the crowd, and he feels compassion for them, so he began to minister. Before the ministry took place, there was a move of compassion, a move of compassion that's made up, according to the passage that we read out of the Psalms, of loving kindness and truth. If we take truth out of the picture, 
The recipe's incomplete. You might have acts of kindness, but you don't see people delivered or healed or set free. You see them maybe comforted. Let me just comfort you a little bit, you know, and, and, and hang in there, buddy. But when you see the power of truth introduced alongside loving kindness, you see breakthrough and victory in the miraculous levels. People healed of their diseases, people set free from their afflictions, people delivered from a demonic oppression. You see wonderful and powerful things. And I see these things and I'm thinking, I want truth in my life. I don't want to simply just be a nice guy, although being a nice guy is a really great thing to shoot for. But if we can have the kindness of God functioning and operating in our lives and in our hearts, and we can include truth into our lives, I think you have the wonderful recipe needed for the compassion that leads to ministry that you read about in the Gospels. Truth is absolutely necessary for people to, to know freedom. And you can just fill in the blank for whatever might be compromising freedom. Let me give you a, an area of scripture here out of the Gospel. John chapter 8. Now if you wanted to read through a number of verses there, you'd read 31 through 36. But you'll see Jesus speaking and I want you to listen intently for the importance or the power of truth. So Jesus was saying to the Jews who had believed him. Now I want to pause right there. The Jews who had believed him are who? They're believers, just like me and just like you. So Jesus isn't speaking to unbelieving barbarians or, or unbelieving haters or anything like that. He's speaking to people who are believers. I mean, for our vocabulary's sake, you could say Jesus is speaking to Christians. So Jesus was saying to those who had believed, he said, if you continue in my word, so you have this condition introduced, introduced to believers, if you continue in my word, then you're truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered and they said, hey, we're Abraham's descendants. I mean, we, we, we come from Abraham, and yet we've never known slavery or bondage. We've never been locked in chains or forced to work. How is it that you say we'll become free? I mean, basically what they're saying is, hey, I'm free right now. And Jesus goes on to answer them and say, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. And the slave doesn't remain in the house forever. But the Son does remain. So if the Son makes you free, you'll be free indeed. I mean, I want to just pause there and, and give some thought to these things. One, you can see the presence and the power of truth. I mean, Jesus is speaking about truth, about truth being present in our lives and truth having the power or the authority to open up the door for freedom, to end captivity, to end corruption, to end bondage and affliction. I can just tell you in my own life, and this is off script here a little bit and more in the testimony element, but the bondages, the addictions, the, the, the behavior that was destructive in my life was all washed away, all wiped out, all annihilated by truth. I remember that being in my prayers. And I think that it was the mercy of God that that would even be on my mind to ask for. But as I looked in the scripture and read in the scripture, I saw the importance of truth, that truth leads to freedom. And that just began to be what I prayed for. Father, fill me with truth. Fill my mind with truth. Let me think thoughts of truth. Let my words be words of truth. Let my ears hear the truth. Truth, truth, truth. 
I mean, I tried my best to wear that word out in my prayer life. If it's got the power to bring freedom into my life, and I hate the destructive patterns that have existed in my life, if truth is the solution, then let truth be around me all the time. Surround me with truth. Fill me with truth. Wash over me with truth. Truth. And I know in many ways he answered that prayer. And there's a reason why he would answer that prayer. Jesus prayed that same prayer for you. I mentioned before you were going to see something in the scripture that you would see what Jesus asked God to do. If you want to turn there, you're welcome to turn there. You write it down for your notes. John chapter 17, verse 17. It's an easy one to remember, John 17, 17. 1717. Jesus is praying and he's praying for you. If you're ever having a rough go and you're feeling a little neglected or anything like that, read John chapter 17. If you're ever having the best day of your life, read John chapter 17. You're going to see Jesus praying for you. And it's really encouraging to see the things that he's prayed, to see the things that he's asked. And by the way, when you read his prayer, if you've never read it before, you'll read it. And I would be willing to bet at some point in that prayer, you'll realize, oh my gosh, this makes perfect sense. Christianity is for real. The prayer that he prays for you, that God hears and answers, includes these words in John 17. Verse 17, Jesus is praying, he's praying for you, and he asks God to do this. Father, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify, meaning set apart, to, to consecrate, to make holy, to be to be separated from the rest of the world. We are called to be different from the rest of the world. In the areas of our life that look just like the world, there's a need for some sort of separation, a consecration, or a sanctification. There's a need to introduce that which has the power to separate from what's common and what's worldly into what is redeemed and what is supernaturally uh, heavenly, and that power is found in truth. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Now, just as a young believer, when I was first born again and I began to read the scripture and these words were coming off the page, I mean, I would be so excited and giddy. I would read those things and I couldn't stop talking about them to everyone that I was around. Even to this day, I can get excited reading about that because I understand the power that's behind that. And as I'm sharing it with you, I hope that that communicates. I hope there's an element of sincerity that it's not just, you know, killing time before we eat. And at the very least, to walk away with the understanding that truth is important. Just to introduce that into your life and into your prayer life. Father, I see that truth is important. I may not understand what that means, but I'm asking you, will you give me understanding? Will you teach me the truth? Show me the truth. Let my life be sanctified in truth. Let my marriage be sanctified in truth. Let my role as a father be sanctified in truth. Let the ministry that you would call me to be sanctified in truth. If it's meant to be set apart and consecrated in truth, let it be so. And when Jesus reveals that that sanctification is his heart's desire, his prayer that God grants, and he reveals that the truth is the word of God, it reveals to us the importance of why God would bring his word into our lives through Jesus and then the Holy Spirit. And the wonderful thing about this, as we go back to seeing that love ex it, it, it exists in or exists with, through, or by truth, 
that it doesn't celebrate unrighteousness, but rather truth, because truth has the power to atone for or wash away unrighteousness. We can see why this is a thing, why this is real, why this exists not only in the scripture, but even in our lives today. I mean, remember before when we were talking about unrighteousness and truth, you know, I mean, if I were writing that scripture and and that was not inspired by the Holy Spirit, but it was just inspired by my own intellect, it would have read, love doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness, but rather rejoices in righteousness. And most people would probably think that makes sense. But inspired by truth and the Holy Spirit, the scripture stands very clearly that love doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness, but rather it rejoices in truth. And it is because truth washes away, has the power to remove that which is bringing captivity. Just like Jesus would say, the truth will set you free. Just like the writer of the Proverbs would say, that by truth and loving kindness, iniquity is atoned for. There's a reason for this, and when we understand the mechanics behind it, it can make that little light bulb go off, where all of a sudden it's like, hey, that makes sense. I want to offer this to you, that at the foundation of all sin, there's a lie. At the foundation of all sin, there's a lie. So here's something, what if I were to be abusive to my wife, you know? At the foundation of that, there's the lie, that I'm going to put her in her place. Yeah, it's not going to work like that. (laughs) At the foundation of the original sin, if you eat that, you won't die. There's a lie. There's a lot of lies. At the foundation of any sin, well, if I do that, it'll be okay. Well, if I do that, that'll make me feel good. If I do that, it'll take care of all of my money issues. If I do that, it'll it'll make me uh, uh, popular. Well, if I do that, all at the foundation of any corruption, there's a lie. Jesus exposed that when he was speaking about uh, Satan. He, he mentioned that he's the father of lies. That's why he can be at the base of all corruption. Because everything he says is a lie. That's why we need truth. That's why truth has the power to sanctify us and set us apart. That's why truth has the ability to be mixed with loving kindness and release compassion that brings deliverance and freedom. That's why truth can wash away and atone for iniquity. That's why Jesus could stand and say, I am the truth. I want to give you a couple of passages of scriptures just for your notes here. I want to give you a passage of scripture out of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 5 verse 20. Now if you look up Isaiah 5 verse 20 in your own time, you're not going to see the word truth mentioned at all. But there is an element there that I hope that we can receive and walk in together as we're looking for and and, and finding the importance of truth in our lives. Upon becoming a Christian and making choices and decisions, I began to measure things and look at things as, as, was it good, was it bad, was this righteous, was this evil? You know, you'd put it on the scales and if I judged it was good, then I would do it. If I judged it was bad, I would try not to do it. But those things are very relative. I mean, what is good? What is bad? It would depend on situations or circumstances. And that positioned me to be in some very compromising uh, situations. It positioned me to make some very compromised choices. Some things where I could talk myself into or out of just about anything. It put me on a judgment seat to decide what was sin and what was righteousness. 
So Isaiah says something here that I think is the solution to this problem. Isaiah says something prophetically. He says, don't call good evil or evil good. Woe to the one who calls good evil or evil good, the one who substitutes darkness for light or light for darkness. Now, I hear that on first glance and think that means, hey, don't call good things evil and don't call evil things good. And that's a fine interpretation of that. But I also see a warning, a warning for labeling anything good or evil, that that's not meant how we're supposed to to see things. We're not meant to, to sit in that judgment seat. Really and truly, the safest way for me to live my life is not to ask God, is that good or is that evil? But to ask God, is that the truth or is that a lie? Because good and evil might be relative, but truth and lie are never relative. They're always absolute. I'll give you a couple of passages of scripture here out of John 16. I want to read verse 13. Jesus is speaking about the Holy Spirit and he says something uh, that we need to pay very close attention to. He says, when the Holy Spirit comes, the spirit of truth, he will guide you into all truth. He won't speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears from the Father, he will speak. Whatever he hears, he will disclose to you. So there's one passage. Let me give you another passage in contrast. Jesus speaking in John chapter 8, verse 44. Now not speaking of the Holy Spirit, but now speaking of our adversary, the devil. Satan doesn't stand in truth because there's no truth in him. Did you hear that? None. Zero. Nada. Zilch, not even a little bit. He never even is, is truthful by accident. There is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks, it's a lie because he speaks from his own nature. He is a liar and the father of lies. So I mentioned that about Isaiah. You know, woe to those who call good evil and evil good. And, and I didn't mean to share that to introduce any confusion, but rather what I wanted to share that was because I wanted to separate myself from making choices and decisions by my own nature. If I'm deciding what's good and what's bad, I can guarantee you I'm, I'm a pretty good uh, salesman, and I could sell myself on anything. I could talk myself into or out of anything. But in this situation, we're not called to be those who are evaluating those things. Rather, we're called to those who are being led in one direction and that is in the direction of truth. To not make choices and decisions by our own initiative, which is how Satan does it, but to be spirit-led, making our choices and our decisions based on the leading of the Holy Spirit, who's not doing anything on his own initiative, but rather he's being led by the Father. The only way to make choices and decisions in the midst of love is to be led by love. The only way to be making choices and decisions that would fulfill the definition of love and all of its patience and kindness and all of its refusing to rejoice in sin but rejoicing only in truth is to be led by love himself. And for us, that's going to mean separating from our initiative and embracing the leading of the Holy Spirit for the purpose of following truth. Now, I want to just mention here as we begin to wind down how to walk in God's truth. I want to keep something very simple and very easy. I want to offer one passage of scripture out of the Psalms. I mentioned before there's something that we need to be looking at. And Psalm 26 verse 3 is a really simple passage that communicates 
uh, the, what's necessary for us, the necessary elements to live out our lives walking in truth. Psalm 26.3 speaks of God's loving kindness. Your loving kindness is before my eyes, and I walk in your truth. Your loving kindness is before my eyes, and I walk in your truth. For me to walk in the truth, for you to walk in the truth, for us to walk in the truth that we've been called to be sanctified by, that we've been called to operate in, setting God's goodness before our eyes in every choice and in every decision is a necessity. It's important that we're not making our choices and decisions based on what make us feel good, based on what we feel is right, but we make our choices and our decisions based on what God has led, what God has spoken what he's brought into our lives by his loving kindness in Jesus. For me personally, I'll tell you what that has meant. It's meant having a king. Having a king has been the, the most dynamic change in my life. It's what's taken me from being a slave and in bondage and moved me into the place that God would call me to in sonship. Having a king means having one who speaks into, who leads, and who guides. Having a king means I don't get a vote. It simply means he instructs and we move. He speaks and we act. And we live in a culture that wants a vote. We live in a culture that rejoices in their own initiative and how they feel. But we're called to be separated from that culture, sanctified, removed from that culture. And we're called to be sanctified by truth. And it's truth that leads to freedom. It's truth that leads to compassion it's truth that's the foundation for all ministry. It's truth that God has paid the highest price to bring into our lives by the Holy Spirit. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at championschurch.com.